Welcome to Trained, a podcast exploring the cutting edge of holistic fitness. I'm Ryan Flaherty, the Senior Director of Performance at Nike. On every episode, I call up the world's leading experts and athletes to talk about mindset, movement, nutrition, recovery, and sleep, all the ways to train your body and mind. Today, I'm catching up with a research psychologist who's proving that the way we think has measurable effects on the way we feel, heal, and perform. Our brain is intricately connected to every organ in the body, and subtle changes in the way we think can change how our physiology is responding at every moment. It changes what you pay attention to, changes how you feel emotionally, it changes our motivation, and it changes what our bodies are prepared to do and what our bodies prioritize. That was Dr. Aliyah Crum, talking about how our thoughts and beliefs exert a constant push and pull on every system of our body. I think a lot of us are tempted to fly past this pretty casually, to go, of course I know that, mind over matter, right? But Dr. Crum's work has shown that the power of mindset goes far beyond what most of us would imagine, and that it can be measured just as precisely as we can measure weight, blood pressure, or hormone levels. But guess what? Her research shows that mindset affects all three. Today, I'm getting a rundown on that research, which is amazing for a data nerd like me. Dr. Crum also gives us a crash course on why we should never say just a placebo, and some real-world application for one of the toughest questions in the history of science. How to get a two-year-old to go to sleep. Hey, Allie, nice to meet you. Hey, Ryan, great to meet you. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. I really appreciate it. It's really exciting to be here. Could you summarize just your professional background, you know, where you work, and then your current emphasis? I'm a... Psychologist by training, and my PhD is in clinical psychology from Yale University. And I am currently an assistant professor of psychology at Stanford University. I study the role of mindsets and beliefs in shaping our health, well being, and performance. So, you're a former D1 athlete. Can you talk about what sport you played and how that led you into where you are today? Sure, yeah. My athletic career actually started as a gymnast. I was a very serious gymnast from age four to 14, training Mm. three to four hours a day. And that was just a great sport to kind of get into it with because it was so intense as far as discipline and very much a mental sport. You get one shot, you know, in competition. Can Mm -hmm. you stay on that beam? Can you do it perfectly? When I quit gymnastics, I had a lot of time. So I started sort of doing a bunch of different sports, (laughs) played soccer, played hockey, played golf. I ski raced and then really got immersed in hockey. So I got recruited to play at Harvard University and played on their D1 team there for four years. And, you know, the power of the mind is so fascinating. It's why I've devoted my whole life to studying it. But that Mm -hmm. interest really comes from, you know, having been an athlete. And, you know, athletes know this better than anybody. The way you're thinking, the the way your mind is operating can really make all the difference. At what point in your sporting career did you start to really look at and see the mind and, and sports and psychology specifically being something that had an impact on your athletic career, your game? Yeah, very early on uh, with gymnastics, we learned, you know, right away that visualization is critical to be able Mm -hmm. to learn and perform a new skill. So, you know, how do you get somebody to get up and do a backflip on a balance beam? Well, Certainly, there are a lot of physical steps that you can take. First, you learn back walkovers, mm-hmm. then you learn back handsprings, then you learn it on a small beam, then you learn it on a tall beam. But every time you transition to a harder stage, 
the challenge is, can you see yourself doing it in your mind? And if you can't see it in your mind, it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to do it physically. You have a routine, right? You know exactly what you're going to do. So it's fairly easy for people to visualize that exact routine. That's why gymnasts use this regularly. Divers use this regularly. But where it gets challenging is, you know, if you're a football player, (laughs) what do you visualize, right? Because you don't Mm -hmm. know the Mm -hmm. nature of the game, but you can pick out certain things that might come up or certain moves that you might do. There's been some research showing that if you can visualize like shooting basketballs, for example, or putting or swinging a golf club, that that can help physically prepare your body to do the same motion that you've been practicing mentally. I think actually this was one reason why I moved a little bit away from studying just the art of visualization to thinking about other things that might go on mentally. Because it was like, okay, well, I can visualize the moves that I want to do, or I could maybe visualize these setbacks that I anticipate. But what actually is a state of mind that I could get myself into before I go play a hockey game, right? The work that we do is studying what we call mindsets. So they are these like default states of the mind that lead you to act in certain ways, think in certain ways, notice things differently, or have your physiology respond differently because of the state of mind that you put it in. There's a study that you shared in one of your talks about people who are working at a, at a hotel and how they all generally did similar activity, but yet when you told them to believe one thing versus another, physiologically they had changes, even though they were doing almost the exact same level of activity. So could you talk about that study and just how important it is to recognize what that study shows, it, how it plays out with what we believe and what we believe about ourselves? Yeah, the, the most important thing to realize about mindsets is that we have them. And Actually, that simple fact is often overlooked, right? I think many people assume that we are reading or interpreting the world as it is objectively, that there's some sort of objective truth out there. We just need to learn or, you know, gain access to. And what the idea of mindset shows us is that that's not true. Like, (laughs) that's maybe only part true. There is some objective world we're reading. But how we're reading that is actually by having expectations and then determining whether those expectations meet our reality. Uh, So that's a little Mm -hmm. complex, but essentially what it means is that the same exact objective situation can be read or interpreted in two very different ways. And those two different mindsets or interpretations matter dramatically, they matter way more than I think most people understand. So in the case of the room attendant study, this was a really fascinating case of this, where mostly we worked with women hotel housekeepers who were going about their daily work cleaning hotel rooms. Now, if you think about the, you know, the job of cleaning hotel rooms, it's actually quite physically demanding. They're on their, (laughs) they're on their feet all day long. Unlike most of us, we're at our computer all day long, Mm -hmm. many of us. And they're bending over, they're picking up linens, they're changing the beds, they're pushing carts, they're often climbing the stairs. And it's tough to quantify the exact amount of activity, but it's clear that they're far exceeding the Surgeon General's requirements, which have changed slightly, but at the time of the study, they were to accumulate 30 minutes of moderate physical activity per day. So here they are getting a tremendous amount of physical activity throughout their day of work. But when we asked them, do you get regular exercise? 
two-thirds of them said no. And when we asked them on a scale of zero to 10, how much exercise do you get? Most of them said around a three, right? And a third of them said zero. I get no exercise at all. So here's this case where they're all doing roughly the same amount of physical activity, but typically weren't viewing their work as good exercise. They had the mindset, in other words, that their work was hard, painful, maybe thankless work, not the mindset that their work was good activity. So what we decided to do was change their mindset. What would happen if we could get them to start viewing their work as good exercise? So we worked with 84 hotel housekeepers. We randomized them into two different conditions. One condition or one group, we went in at the beginning of the study. We measured them on their height, weight, blood pressure, body fat. And then we simply told them, hey, you're getting good exercise. You're meeting the Surgeon General's requirements you should be receiving the benefits, a healthy heart, a healthy weight, you know, less depression, and so forth. The other group, we also measured them on those things, but we didn't give them that information yet. Four weeks later, we came back and measured them again. And what we found was that those who had received this information had changed mindset. They started seeing their work as good exercise. They started seeing themselves as active individuals. And as a result, they had some significant changes in their bodies. They had a significant mm -hmm. reduction in weight. Their systolic blood pressure dropped. Their waist-to-hip ratio changed. And they started actually liking their job more, which is interesting. Yeah. And after that, of course, we gave the other group the information so they would benefit from that as well. But during that four weeks, we were able to control very closely the differences in physiology that changed simply as a result of a change in mindset. How did you get interested in that? I had been immersed in studying the placebo effect, which in medicine is typically looked at as something you compare a new drug against uh, to see if it works better. Mm -hmm. But what you find if you actually look at that body of literature is that placebo effects are quite effective. So simply believing that you're getting a medication, even though it's a sugar pill or a, a faux procedure, actually results in significant benefit in a variety of different conditions. And that benefit isn't just subjective. It isn't just making people say they feel better, but it's actually, you know, it can reduce blood pressure, boost your immune system, decrease your allergic response, and so forth. So where does that effect come from? It's actually pretty straightforward if you think about it. Placebo effects are a result of three things. The first is your body's own natural ability to heal itself with time. Second is the mindset, so the coalition of thoughts, beliefs, and expectations that have an impact why? In part because it activates your body's natural ability. But your mindsets don't come out of nowhere. Your mindsets <laughs> don't exist in a vacuum. They're shaped by what we call the social context. So the social context is made up of other people, for one, around us, influential others, but also cultural cues and cultural beliefs and practices. So in the healthcare context, you know, you can imagine this is the bedside manner of the doctor. It's how yeah. the doctor treats you as an individual. It's also things like the color, shape, and size of the pills, the 
branding of the drugs, you know, the name of the hospital, all of these things can kind of filter wow. in. They can tweak or shape the strength of our mindset, which can then affect how our bodies respond. And what we know from the research on social influence and mindset is that we're most affected uh, when people have two qualities. The first is competence, so they need to sort of know what they're talking about. The second one that's often forgotten is what's called in the social sciences warmth. Essentially, what that means is, do you feel like this person understands me? Do you trust them? Do they have their best interest in mind? I mean, on top of talking about the placebo effect, like you're saying, there's this term that's thrown around sometimes called nocebo, which is the opposite. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, nocebo is just a name for the placebo's ugly stepsister. It's this <laughs> phenomenon in which our negative thoughts, beliefs, expectations can lead to negative outcomes. In the medical world, this typically looks like um, side effects. So there's research showing that when people are told to expect certain side effects, those effects are far more likely to occur. There's some interesting research showing that somewhere between 4 and 24% of people in placebo arms of clinical trials drop out because they complain of side effects. So these are people who have no active substance, wow. but they're getting side effects right. so bad that they drop out of treatment. So how does a certain mindset change our body or our physical reality? Well, the first thing is it changes our attention. So if you're one of these room attendants and you're told that you're an active individual who's fit, what do you start noticing? You know, you start noticing the ways mm -hmm. in which you're moving your body all day. You might notice some soreness at the end of the day, but instead of interpreting it as my job is painful, you say, oh, I must be getting stronger, right? Your, your attention mm -hmm. shifts. The second thing is your affect changes, uh, you know, so when you're told, <laughs> I mean, when you're told you're never going to walk again, how do you think that makes you feel effectively? I mean, that's the one of the biggest blows you can get. And that can create, you know, a cycle of negative emotion. And we know from lots of research on emotions that negative emotion can be really bad for your immune system, your endocrine system, your cardiovascular system, and so forth. So attention, affect, and Third is motivation, right? So we know, I mean, you know, as a coach, like it's all about, are you going to get up in the morning to go on that run? Are you going to get up to, to get it done? Are you going to last that extra set? And when you're told you're not fit, you're not getting enough exercise, hey, you're never going to be fully healthy again. Does that make you want to do more or less, <laughs> right? It, it yeah. can dramatically stifle or, you know, amplify our motivation, depending on what we're thinking. And then the fourth piece of the puzzle is our physiology. We're still stuck in this sort of Descartes dualistic view of like somehow thinking that our minds are disconnected. Our brain is <laughs> intricately connected to every organ in the body. And mm. subtle changes in the way we think can change how our physiology is responding at every moment. So it changes yeah. what you pay attention to, changes how you feel emotionally, it changes our motivation, and it changes what our bodies are prepared to do and what our bodies prioritize. And through those four mechanisms, those simple changes in how we think make a, make a big, big difference. Where do these mindsets originate? Like, if we have no idea that this is even at play, we're interested in looking at our mindsets to figure out how we can adjust or make some changes or shifts, where should we start looking first? 
Let's see. Well, several different places. The first is our cultures that we live in. So we, we talk about them as cultural products. So what are the messages or the institutions in your culture and what are they saying to you? So a good example of this is when it comes to eating well, so healthy eating. We hear from everywhere around us that it's important to eat healthy foods, it's important to eat fruits and vegetables, but there's a sort of a sub-narrative around that that actually conveys that, yeah, you should eat healthy foods, but they're not as delicious, they're not as indulgent, they're not as fun, they're not as social, they're not as exciting to eat. Where does that come from? It comes through, if you just watch any TV show when they're celebrating or having a good time, what are they doing? They're eating unhealthy food. So there's a cultural element there. Then there's the developmental element. So what messages were you taught as a child? I have a two-year-old right now, and she's just learning what the world is like. And there's so much movement in that. Is it a safe place or a dangerous place? Are resources abundant or scarce? These are big mindsets that set in, but there's other mindsets. Mm -hmm. Like when I feed her broccoli, how do I talk about it? <laughs> right? When, yeah. when I go on my own training run, do I come back and I'm like, oh, I hate, you know, that was such a pain. I can't believe I have to stay fit. You know, I, <laughs> I try to come back and say, that was the best. I love being fit. I love being healthy. I love training. It's hard work, but it's fun. You know, it's, I'm trying to create that mindset that physical activity is something that is fun. It's indulgent. It's social. It's, you know, enjoyable. Yeah. So there's the developmental component. So cultural, developmental. Then there's the influential other. You know, so these are going back to, you know, the mom or the expert. These are the key figures in your life that you're going to trust the most when it comes to competence or warmth. So whatever the domain is, whether it's activity or whether it's food or whether it's medicine or health, they might be different experts. But whoever the person is who conveys the most competence and warmth in that domain is going to have the biggest impact on your mindsets. And then the fourth source of mindsets is conscious choice. So once you become aware that you have mindsets, one of the greatest skills we have as humans is an ability to be aware of our own thinking and therefore change the way we think. Uh, we don't mm -hmm. think that any other species has this ability. And this is really a great gift. It's not always easy if you're stuck in a negative way of thinking, but sometimes just realizing, wow, I've really been thinking about healthy food as this boring, depriving option. What if we changed that? right? What, what if we just flip the script a little bit there? I think we have more agency than a lot of people think to be able to consciously and deliberately change our mindsets. Yeah. And on that note, I mean, it brings up a study you did around milkshakes and, and the idea of like what you thought about that milkshake kind of changed even, you know, the amount of ghrelin was released. Could you, would you mind talking about that study? This study was the one that changed me the most personally, so I'm happy to share it. Um, so we had done this room attendant study and where, you know, I was quite frankly blown away at first, like, wow, I kind of thought this would change how they felt, but their blood pressure, that's that's really interesting. Where where else is this happening that we're not aware of, right? So that's when I thought, well, we know a lot about nutrients and we think we know what's good for us and bad for us when we eat. But how does what we think about what we eat 
change our body's response? That was the question there. So we brought people into the Center for Clinical and Translational Research at the Yale Hospital, and we invited them in to drink milkshakes at two different time points. Now, that sounds like a fun study to be a part of, but they were, they were told that we were testing shakes that had dramatically different nutrient content to meet different metabolic needs of patients in the hospital, but we wanted them to taste as similarly as possible. And so the participants came in at two different time points separated by a week, and we had them drink a milkshake. Now, at both time points, the milkshake was the same exact milkshake. So it was about 350 calories, a moderate amount of fat and sugar. But at one time point, they were told it was a diet shake, a low-fat, low-sugar, 140-calorie shake. The other time point, they were told it was an indulgent shake. 620 calorie, lots of fat, ample sugar, and so forth. While they were drinking the milkshake, we were taking samples from their bloodstream to measure ghrelin. Ghrelin is a gut peptide. Medical people call it the hunger hormone. So ghrelin levels rise, which signals to the brain, seek out food. And then theoretically, in proportion to the amount of calories you consume, ghrelin levels fall, which tell your brain, okay, you can stop eating. And it also revs up metabolism to burn the nutrients that you just ingested. So what we found in this study is that when people thought they were consuming an indulgent shake, even though it was the exact same shake, you know, nutritionally, their Mm -hmm. ghrelin levels dropped at a threefold rate compared to when they thought it was a diet shake. That's crazy. So, yeah, so this was really important for two reasons. One, it was one of the first studies to show that these hunger hormones, our physiological response differs not just to what you're actually eating, but what you think about what you're eating. But the other key insight from this study was the manner it did so. So when I first started going into the research, I thought, well, it's probably going to be better to think you're eating healthy, right? It just sounds right. I'm eating sensibly. Mm -hmm. My body will respond better. But the mindset was a little more specific than that. The mindset of healthiness (laughs) conveyed a sense of deprivation, like I'm not eating enough. And the body Mm. responded physiologically as if it didn't eat enough. Ghrelin's levels were still high, still sending these hunger signals, potentially slowing down the metabolism. So as somebody who had always been watching what I ate, trying to maintain a healthy weight, this flipped everything on its head, right? (laughs) You know, it didn't suggest, oh, go eat what you want. What it did say was when you're Eating in a mindset of sensibility or restraint, that might actually be counteracting the hard work that you're doing to diet. So what's mm-hmm. what's the answer? Well, we need to do lots more research, but what's at least worked in my life is to eat healthy, abundant foods, but to do so in a mindset of indulgence. So can you have a healthy food, but think of it in a way that feels like it's enough, that it's exciting, indulgent. After the break, Dr. Crum and I will get into how she applies research to her own life and share a mindset that will make stress less destructive. If you're enjoying this episode of Trained, here's some good news. You'll find more wellness expertise every day on Nike.com, the Nike app, the Nike Run Club app, and the Nike Training Club app. You can learn more about movement, mindset, nutrition, recovery, and sleep 
and you can get started on a workout as soon as you finish this episode. How do you apply some of the learnings and the research that you've been a part of to your own life in any way? Is there anything that you use on a daily basis that you could let us know about? So I can talk a little bit about my two-year-old, Siggy. The biggest things for yeah. her, as you know, are eating and sleeping. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and yep. so sleep is a good example where I think, you know, somewhere along the line, whether it's culture or our own development or the influential others, we get into this place where you assume that your kid doesn't want to sleep and that you have to make them sleep, right? And then all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. the mindset about sleep is sleep is what you have to do. And who wants to do something that they have to do, right? You -hmm. (laughs) you want to do something that, again, it's exciting, it's indulgent, it's good for you, it's comfy. And so for us, one of the things we've done is to try to establish that. Actually, as adults, it's like, who wouldn't want to take a nap? at the middle of the day. You get to cuddle up in your bed. You get to like, you know, read a book. And and that it just seems so subtle, right? But it's like before thinking about how culturally we talk about sleep, how might that be having negative effects or counter-effective results? And what might be a better mindset to be in, a more adaptive mindset? And I've only had one child, but it seems to be working pretty well for her. I have no, I have no scientific data behind the sleep mindset, but it works for us. Yeah. The other one is with eating, and that's a big one, I think, because it's really hard. You start noticing it very early on, just subtle cues and things we say to reinforce this mindset that the vegetables are less tasty than the cookie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're not going to totally flip it, right? You know, you're not all of a sudden going to be excited to have, you know, broccoli at your birthday. But, um, you know, (laughs) we can change the narrative so it's a little bit more balanced, right? That, oh, we get to go to the farmer's market or we got our neighbor's fresh tomatoes and, oh, that's like, you know, making that exciting. Mm -hmm. So it's key mindsets like that. Healthy foods are delicious. Sleep is a gift. (laughs) It starts there and then you can start building it out. People get stuck sometimes because they think if it's about your mindset, it's all about your mindset, you know. And and I just want to say clearly that it's never an either or. It's not like it doesn't matter how the food's prepared or how good the quality is or what it tastes like. It's all in your head. That's that's not true, but it's always both, right? And there are things that you can do in your environment to help reinforce a mindset that's useful. So the biggest impact is to change the environment and change your mindsets about that. Not just saying, oh, sleep's great, go sleep on a hard ground somewhere. Right, yeah. (laughs) It's like you make the sleep great, you make the food great, you make the training fun. Yeah. How does trauma play into your mindsets and how important is it for people to recognize the impact that maybe something, some experience, even like a car accident or something that you don't like think is as traumatic as it may be that impacts your mindsets long-term for other things you're trying to accomplish? I have many things to say about this. Uh, Probably (laughs) probably the biggest piece is, so we've done a lot of research on what we call stress mindset. So it's your mindset about the nature of stress. And what we've found is that in our culture, again, most of the messaging is 
stress is bad. Stress is something right. that you should avoid at all costs. It's going to make you sick. It's going to make you die prematurely. It's going to make you depressed and divorce your spouse and, you know, all these things. And yeah. that yeah. messaging is well-intended because it's based on some research showing that there can be negative effects of stress or trauma being a severe, acute form of stress. But it's actually ineffective and it's problematic because what it does is it puts you into a mindset about stress that is actually unhelpful. So the mindset that stress or, you know, if I extrapolate to trauma is something that's negative, that it's debilitating, that should be uh, avoided, um, can actually create more stress. So you have the stress about stress now. Mm -hmm. So that's one reason it's ineffective. The other is that mindset that stress is debilitating can actually make you respond in ways that aren't helpful either. What we've shown in our research is that if you can switch people's mindsets into viewing stress as enhancing. Now, let me be clear again. This doesn't mean that the stressor or the trauma is a good thing. Right. It doesn't mean that having cancer or a death in the family or being abused or going through any kind of trauma is a good thing in and of itself. Right. What this mindset means is the experience of going through a stressful encounter can have enhancing effects. What might this be? It could increase your uh, appreciation for life. It could reconnect you to the values that you care about most. In certain situations, it might just help you rise to the occasion and perform at your highest level, right? And, and research has documented these enhancing effects under stress. And I think going back to, you know, the beginning, any great athlete knows this, right? <laughs> Oftentimes, they yeah. perform their best when it's the biggest game, there's the most fans, they're up against the wall. That's where their performance mm -hmm. just shoots through the roof. So... That mindset is really critical. And again, it doesn't mean that trauma is good or you should seek it out, but that the process of going through it can have those enhancing outcomes. I would argue that right now, you know, going through this pandemic, we're all like, what do we think? How do we think? You know, <laughs> we're in yeah. this state of uncertainty and complexity. And those are actually the times that we are able to create and consolidate new mindsets. So these times are opportunities mm. to choose or take on new ways of thinking, looking at, at the world, new ways of thinking about it. We wouldn't necessarily choose going through this, but it is an opportunity to rethink our mindsets. What suggestions do you have for actually like, you know, moments where stress really feels like it's overwhelming? Mm -hmm. Are there things that you've known through the research that, that are really effective in real time? We've actually developed and validated a three-step approach that we've seen work for people. So first step when you're feeling this way is to simply acknowledge your stress. But what is that? I'm yeah. feeling stressed because I've lost my job. My kid can't go back to school. But then instead of go the next step, which is to start judging all these events, you know, and why did they happen? And I can't believe that happened is to just acknowledge the way you're feeling about them. So how are you reacting both behaviorally as well as physiologically or emotionally? So for me, it's, 
you know, I tend to get kind of short-tempered with my <laughs> with my spouse, or I mm-hmm. tend to all of a sudden get really tired and lack of motivation. And, you know, it's really just becoming aware of and acknowledging, A, that you're stressed, and B, that you're having reactions to this, and to just notice it, not judge it, not evaluate it, not try to change it, just acknowledge it. The second step is to, and this always sounds crazy to people, but is to welcome that stress. <laughs> Again, it's not saying global pandemics are a good thing, <laughs> but it's saying I welcome yeah. this opportunity to learn and grow and rise to a higher level as a human being or as mm. a society. So it's that simple shift to welcoming it. Now, how or why would you do that, right? It goes back to understanding that actually True transformative change only happens when there's some stress or crisis. So we can't change. We can't rise to a higher level. We can't be a better, bigger person without some form of stress or crisis. We have instances where we've grown in spite of stressors. So we can change dramatically to view it as welcoming rather than pushing it away. And then the third step, so you acknowledge that you're stressed, you're acknowledging the reactions that you're having non-judgmentally. You've welcomed it as an opportunity to grow and to learn and to change. And then the third step is to utilize that stress uh, or channel it into achieving the values and the goals that you have. So one way to do this is to just answer the question, you know, I'm stressed about X, fill in the blank, because I care about Y. So I'm stressed about the pandemic because I care about, you know, sometimes it takes a while for people to get that. They're like, well, I because I care about not having pandemic. So it's like, <laughs> well, I care about not having <laughs> yeah. that so I can function regularly. Well, I care about functioning regularly so that I can raise my child well. Well, I care about raising my child well so that I can be a good mother, so that she can be happy, mm-hmm. so that she can make a meaningful contribution to the world. But again, it's acknowledge that you're stressed, acknowledge your reactions, welcome it as something that is linked to what you care about and channel or utilize that stress to address or reach those values. Is there a good resource for people who want to learn more about this topic? Anything you recommend? On the Stanford Spark website, S-P-A-R-Q, we have toolkits you can download. We have one for the edgy veggies, so how to help get into a, a better mindset about food. And then we have the Rethink Stress toolkit as well. Uh, it's all free, open source. The three steps are there. And that was built pre-pandemic time, so it's not fully <laughs> tailored to that, but I think it's yeah. useful for, for any moment in time. All right. Well, Ali, thank you so much for taking the time. And second, thank you for all of the work that you put into helping us continue to evolve as as human beings trying to live healthier, happier lives. Yeah, thank you. It's been so much fun chatting. Well, that was timely, wasn't it? This has been a year that's really begged for the kind of mental reframing that Dr. Crumb's research shows is actually, surprisingly, well within our reach. The stress out there, after all, it isn't going anywhere. But by acknowledging it, welcoming it, and working it into our plans, we might come out a little better on the other side. All this left me thinking, it's incredibly exciting to explore all the ways our mindsets can affect us, but it might be even more exciting to explore all the ways that we can affect our mindsets. To remember that, ultimately, we're the ones behind the wheel. Next week, I'll be talking with journalist and author David Epstein about how being a jack of all trades might actually be our best bet for becoming a master of some. 
This has been Trained. Talk to you soon. If you've enjoyed this episode of Trained, help us spread the word by rating and reviewing the podcast. That way we can keep making great episodes for you to listen to. And it helps other people find us too. If you've got a question for me or my guests or a topic you'd like to see covered, email me at trained at nike.com and I'll see what I can do. Thanks for listening to Trained. Just a reminder, always talk with your doctor before starting any training or nutrition program. The information we provide, it's not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. And the individual opinions expressed here are just that, opinions. They shouldn't be taken as fact.